TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Here we go. Buckle up. Here it comes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Could, could you hear my enthusiasm? You know, Ryan, Ryan can just, you know, belt out those things. I don't have those pipes. And so if I can't participate i'm just gonna mock it that's <laughs> because you know ryan said the other night oh oh you know mike promised that we gotta play rebecca black song even though from my perspective i think this rebecca black song makes the dental drill sound lovely so i mean not that i have an opinion on it not that i have an opinion on it but that's just the that's just the way I see it. Hey, welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. Ryan should be back in the saddle on Sunday night. And I know uh, uh, right now there's a collective sigh of relief in the Camel X audience by going, whew, get rid of Brad and get back to Ryan. So he'll be back in the saddle on Sunday night. In the meantime, uh, we've been talking about taxes, and uh, Nathan's got some ideas on taxes. Hey, Nathan, welcome to Overnight America. Thanks for having me, Brad. I, I Before I got to my taxes, I just wanted to say I'm listening to you every night on the way home from work from northern Minnesota somehow on 1120. Mm-hmm. That's and, the, uh, the red-hot 50,000 watts of KMOX, my friend. <laughs> well, I really enjoy the show, and I really enjoy your listeners. Uh, my only thought on a fair tax is a flat tax. You, you, you can't have it fair until everybody pays exactly the same on every dollar that we earn. Well, you are exactly right. You know, the, the, the benefits and the beauty of a flat tax is that it, it stops punishing people for becoming more successful. You know, exactly. It, it, it does, and so, so what we have now, and I, I know this is your point exactly, Nathan, but what we have now is a system that says, we want you to go out and be successful, but my goodness, we're going to spank you if you do. Exactly. And, and I'm sorry to knock people in my own profession, but I know teams of attorneys. I know lots of accountants. I know guys who are accountants and lawyers at the same time. They make a very good living helping wealthy people not to pay taxes. And if you had a flat tax system, you could fill out your taxes on a postcard. Wouldn't that be lovely? 
That'd be wonderful. I, I would love that. Instead, what we're going to have under the Obama administration is a postcard that says, box one, list your income. Box number two, send us a check for that amount. Exactly. Right, Mike, you've got a comment on that, Mike? Okay, so, that, I mean, that's the problem that I have, and you're exactly right. The only fair tax is a flat tax. Thank you, my friend, for calling in. You have a good night, sir. You too, and drive safely up there with the uh, snow-covered roads. Be careful. Uh, but but the, but it's see, the, the idea that somehow we're not paying our fair share, that's the beauty of a flat tax. Because you could say, I think a fair share is, give me a number, 10%. 15%, 20%. Give us a number. And whatever that number is that's fair, if you make $1,000 a year, it's fair. And if you make $100 million a year, it's still fair. But see, we never get that. We never get that. And and, and everyone says, oh, well, the top 1% isn't paying enough. Well, listen, I'm not in the top 1%. Don't, don't think that I am because I am not. But the top 1% pays, and this is according to the most recent numbers from 2018, this is under the Trump tax plan, the top 1% of tax earners pay or wage earners paid 40% of all income tax. So if you're in that top 1%, if you're the, if you're the Jeff Bezoses and if you're the Elon Musks and the Bill Gates guys and the Warren Buffetts, the top 1% people paid 40, 40% of all income tax, 40%. The top 5% of wage earners paid 50% of all taxes. The top 5% of wage earners paid 50% of all taxes. So if that's not fair, I don't know what is. And so anytime you hear, and you're going to hear this a lot from the Biden administration over the coming weeks and months, when they say that there are Americans who are not paying their fair share, just ask yourself, why are they not defining what that fair share is? Just tell me, and you're never going to hear it. You're never going to hear it. You're never going to hear it because tax policy is power. And so it's not about paying a fair share it's about transferring wealth from, from one group to another. And unfortunately, that's what we see in America today. And it's very unfortunate because it hurts us in the world. It hurts us with our ability to compete economically with other countries. And uh, I just don't see it ever getting fixed because Washington will never give up on that power. Hey, we're having fun tonight. We're going to take a little obscene uh, profit break and we'll be back in just a moment. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America KMOX. St. Louis's weather station, KMOX. I'm going to try to jog your memory here for a moment. Do you remember the Equal Rights Amendment? Yeah, you know, that Equal Rights Amendment that first was proposed back in 1972, I believe. It was extended. It was supposed to be passed by 1979. That was extended to 1982. I mean, that was when I was in high school. I had hair back then. That's how long ago that was. Uh, well, 32 years after the expiration of the proposed Equal Rights Amendment, well, the U.S. House of Representatives just yesterday 
voted to try to bring it back in a zombie-like fashion. So to break all of these issues down, I reached out to uh, Thomas Jipping. He is the deputy director of the Edwin Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, and he's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Thomas Jipping, welcome to CAMOX St. Louis. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate you uh, making time for us this evening. Well, before we dive into all the legal issues with this um, amendment, Tom, let's start with with the why. I mean, in your column for the Daily Signal, you characterized the vote yesterday as a, quote, a solution in search of a problem, unquote. Why is this a a solution in search of a problem? Well, people probably think, uh, most people probably think that the ERA... Uh, was invented or first came up in the 1970s, and, and you, you referred to the to when Congress actually proposed it and sent it to the states. But the ERA was first introduced in Congress, first uh, the first attempt to propose it as an amendment to the Constitution in 1923, and for for 50 years before Congress uh, eventually proposed it. There were dozens of hearings in the House and the Senate. It was it was a resolution. Hundreds of resolutions were introduced to try to propose it, and along the way, the two reasons that its promoters, its supporters, originally said it was necessary uh, faded away. The ERA backers originally said that uh, neither legislatures nor courts would get rid of discriminatory laws or interpret the Constitution to require equality for women. And yet, beginning in the 1930s, legislatures, both state and federal, began doing just that. And in the 1960s, uh, courts started interpreting the Constitution to do what the ERA was supposed to do. So Mm -hmm. by the time Congress proposed it in 1972, uh, it, it had already been taken overtaken by events. I mean, the the reasons that it was supposedly necessary uh, were already being taken care of without a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was for you know that was forty years ago that it that it eventually failed. And, and we've had a lot of, happen since then. Even. Well, but both of those trends, both in terms of legislators legislatures changing laws, and the Supreme Court interpreting. The 14th Amendment, which is already in the Constitution to require equality for women, uh, both of those things have have progressed even further over the last 40 years. So, you know, it may be symbolic, it may stand for, you know, certain ideas, but in terms of an actual constitutional amendment that is needed to solve, you know, the problem of discrimination, that problem is, uh, you know, started being solved a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And what that leaves on the table is all of the potential mischief that the Equal Rights Amendment could do. Well, hold, hold uh, that thought for a second, because I, I want to get to the mischief part after we kind of lay some more of the groundwork sure. here. I, I did some quick legal research today, Tom, and, and I, I came up with a short list of recent laws that were enacted for the protection of women. And to make to ensure that women are not uh, treated in a disparate fashion, and this is a very short list: Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, the Equal Pay Act, 
the Age Discrimination Act, which includes gender protections, the Civil Rights Act of 1991, which provided for both compensatory and punitive damage awards in discrimination claims involving gender, and state laws in all 50 states designed to protect the legal rights of women. So with all of that, that kind of lays a, a groundwork in terms of what you just said a moment ago in terms of a, of a solution in search of a problem. Yeah. But what do the proponents say? I mean, the proponents who just got a vote in the House of Representatives yesterday, we'll break that down in just a moment, but what do the proponents of this say in terms of why this is needed? Well, it's, uh, it, it has turned from, and, I, and I, I did a lot of research going back reading thousands of pages of hearings, and for, for decades it was a very practical, straightforward debate. There were these laws that were discriminatory, we needed to get them eliminated, this is the way to do it. And there, there were debates about whether that was uh, the right way to go, whether you ought to uh, use legislation instead of a constitutional amendment, but it was a very concrete, straightforward debate. Today, uh, you, the the latest hearing that occurred related to the ERA, witnesses were talking about everything from, you know, domestic violence to uh, uh, various practices in foreign countries that were harmful to women to. Uh, vague notions about pay disparities and all this kind of stuff. It, the ERA has become a symbol for whatever hmm. the women's movement has as a priority at, the, at a particular time. Um, but, you know, this is a constitutional amendment. This is not legislation. And those two things are radically different in terms of what they can accomplish and how they accomplish it. A constitutional amendment only uh, affects action by government. So, for example, employment discrimination, if, if someone uh, you know, uh, doesn't get a job because they're a woman, the government hasn't done that. Right, not at all. A, a private employer has. So a constitutional amendment cannot, the Equal Rights Amendment, even if you put it in the Constitution, cannot do what women's advocates today say they want it for. Let me place so that become, into it. It's become, a, it's become a very confused and almost misleading kind of debate today because the, the ERA, if it was ever needed, uh, that ERA died a long time ago. We're talking to Thomas Jipping. He's the senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's a frequent contributor to the Daily Signal. Uh, that's a website I read every single day, and I hope you will too. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to look exactly at what Congress did yesterday. And we're going to break down as to why, at least in my opinion, why what this is is really a glorified public relations stunt and could actually be dangerous legally instead of helping the people it's at least ostensibly designed to help. Brad Young in on Overnight America. We'll be right back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.
After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young in for Ryan Recker this evening, and we're talking to Thomas Jipping, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and we're talking about what the House of Representatives did just yesterday, voting with regard to the uh, Equal Rights Amendment. So let's look at whether yesterday's vote in the House of Representatives is even binding. I mean, when the, when the Equal Rights Amendment was passed by Congress in 1972, at least to, to forward it for ratification, the amendment had a ratification deadline in the amendment itself with a ratification deadline of 1979. So, uh, Mr. Jipping, what did Congress do in 1978 to extend that mm-hmm. deadline? Uh, well, you know, f- first I'll note that, you know, ratification deadlines began appearing in resolutions to propose constitutional amendments in the 1940s. This was a common practice by Congress and the main sponsor of the ERA in 1972 not only accepted the suggestion that she include a, a deadline in, in order hopefully to gain more support, she thought that the ERA would easily be uh, ratified by three quarters of the states within two years. So they put that deadline in there. Congress had the authority to do so. Everyone knows what a deadline is. And by 1982, which is the date that Congress extended the deadline to, they did that in 1978. Before the the original deadline uh, passed, Congress passed a resolution extending it by about a little over three years. Now, very controversial move. They did that by a simple majority where the Constitution requires a two-thirds majority to propose a constitutional amendment, and the only court to rule on it said that that was unconstitutional. But it didn't really matter, because even with three extra years, not a single additional state ratified the ERA. By 1982, which was the the absolute drop-dead date, uh, 35 of the 38 states needed to ratify an amendment had done so, and five of those states had withdrawn their support. So, you know, everybody knew uh, that the, the Equal Rights Amendment died on June 30, 1982. It was dead. It was gone. It expired. It failed. So thereafter, no additional states could ratify it because it wasn't pending before them. What Congress just did uh, is even stranger, and that is, they, uh, the House of Representatives passed a resolution that claims to have amended the 1972 resolution to remove the ratification deadline. Now, as a reminder, when Congress extended the deadline in 1978, the deadline hadn't yet arrived. 
This is 40 years after <laughs> the ERA expired, right. and the House is claiming to amend. It would be like trying to amend a bill that was introduced five years ago. Sure, I mean, because, is, because is anyone who follows Congress knows that when bills, because bills are introduced all the time that don't go anywhere. And when bills oh, sure. are, inter- I mean, it happens every single day. It happens in, in state legislatures and it happens in, in Congress. And sure, when yeah. those bills are not acted upon, they are considered dead and invalid and moot at the every, end of that term. Sure. Every two years, we're in the 117th Congress now which goes from 2021-22, all the bills that are introduced during these two years, if Congress doesn't pass them, when the 117th Congress closes at the end of next year, those pending bills vanish. They, they, they don't exist. And certainly uh, the next year Congress could reintroduce, you know, someone could reintroduce those bills. They could start from scratch. Uh, in every Congress, since the ERA failed, members of Congress have introduced fresh resolutions to start the process over again. But what the House uh, Democrats have tried to do, uh, and, and it's because the, you know, the only train that has left the station for the ERA was that 1972 ERA, uh, and I don't think Congress will ever propose one again, that's why they want to try to keep it alive. But, you know, it's, it is dead. Put a fork in it. It is dead and gone. We're, we're talking to Thomas Jipping. He's the senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And I did a little bit of research today. I found actually a court case in 1982 when there was an issue about whether some states could rescind their ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. And so this court case uh, determined that they couldn't rescind their ra- their uh, uh, their ratification because it was already moot by the time it passed the expiration date. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very important point. Uh, that was a case called Idaho versus Freeman. The U.S. District Court in Idaho uh, ruled that Congress extending the deadline was unconstitutional, and uh, that state and, and the whole the, the result that you just described when that decision was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, you know, that this whole controversy, this whole case is moot. That is, it's it's over and done with. Why? Because the ERA is no longer pending before the states. Everybody knows, like I said, what an, what an expiration date is. Uh, and, and that expiration date passed more than 40 years ago. And they can certainly start over. They can certainly start the, the process fresh. But to pretend to amend not only a, a resolution that was passed half a century ago, but one that died 40 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, it's just ridiculous. It, it's, uh, it, it's a pretend uh, stunt. It's a gimmick. As I said, the ERA itself has been overtaken by events and really has no meaningful purpose anymore. It's just become a symbol, and that's all the House of Representatives was trying to do. But uh, to pretend that that was a real legislative move, I think, is really misleading. Yeah, I looked at the vote from yesterday's uh, yesterday's vote in the House. 
uh, Tom, and it was uh, 222 in favor and 204 against. So uh, as everyone knows, you've already mentioned it here this evening, uh, that if you want to pass a constitutional amendment, it takes two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-fourths of the state. So so this vote yesterday, which of course is nowhere close to getting a two-thirds of a majority in the House, is it safe to say that this was just a public relations stunt rather than a lawful act of Congress? I, I think that I think that that's true, but I think it's worse than that because, and I worked in the United States Senate for 15 years, and I, I saw all the time that members of Congress will introduce bills or resolutions that they don't expect are going to actually pass into law, but that they hope will be uh, representative of an issue or that they hope will maybe attract a vote, uh, that, that it might spark a debate. I mean, there are some uses for things like that, but those are legitimate measures. Those are legitimate bills and resolutions. This is not. Mm. This doesn't even pretend to be a legitimate uh, bill. Uh, and as I said before, they, they, didn't, they didn't pursue a resolution to propose the ERA from scratch. They tried to change uh, the resolution that was proposed by Congress 50 years ago. Fantastic information. Thomas Jipping, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, frequent contributor at thedailysignal.com. I read it every day. I encourage you to read it every day. Thanks so much for breaking down what looks like an act of Congress, but is really a PR stunt. Thank you for joining us this evening on CamoX. Thanks for having me. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinal's Open Live. Sponsored in part by T.R. Hughes Homes. I'm your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to KMOX. Uh, Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. Hey, I've said this a few times tonight, but I want to say it again. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. You can hear Ryan as he's filling in for Mark Cox over on our sister station, 97.1. He'll be sitting in from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. So if you're listening to this right now, you're probably not going to make the 5 a.m., I'm guessing. Uh, but he's on till 9, so check him out in the morning over on 97.1. So uh, I'm just thrilled that uh, he lets me sit in for him while he's out, and I've certainly had a blast last night and tonight. Couldn't have done this at all without producer extraordinaire Mike Anderson. Thank you, Mike. Uh, one of the a couple of stories I got I'm going to touch on tonight before the show's over, and this is this is my favorite news story of the day, and and probably not for the reason why you think it is when I get started telling you about it. But it, it made the news this morning, and it was I heard it reported throughout the day. You know, John Kerry, he's in the administration. He His official position is he is the uh, global warming czar. No, he's the climate envoy. That's what he is. John Kerry is the special climate envoy, uh, which is, you know, it's just a made-up job. But it, well, Mike, you laughed. It is a made up. There was no, there was no special climate envoy until January twentieth. It was just invented. It was just invented. So there was a photograph of John. I love this picture. There's a photograph of John Kerry sitting on an airplane, and he, he took off. I don't know where he was going. He was going from uh, Washington, no, from Boston to Washington D.C., and he was on his plane. 
and he took off his mask while he was on the plane. And there was a lot made over this because it was there was shock and dismay over how could he, my goodness, how could he take off his mask because the CDC guidelines say that people must wear masks that cover both the mouth and the nose when awaiting, boarding, or traveling on or disembarking public conveyances. That's from the CDC order. And what's also interesting is that President Biden signed an executive order on uh, January 21st, on his second full day in office, mandating that masks uh, uh, be worn on all public transportation, such as airplanes, trains, and on federal property. So, so the, the, the focus of the story, the focus of the story of him, of, of, of uh, John Kerry not wearing the mask, was the shock and the dismay at why, how could he not be wearing a mask? That wasn't my take on it at all, because I don't care whether he wears a mask or not. He's probably already had his uh, vaccine uh, because, number one, he's old. And number two, he's loaded uh, because he was married to the uh, uh, the widow of the Heinz guy that founded Heinz Ketchup. So John Kerry is loaded. He's got plenty of money. And so, of course, he's already had the vaccine. He's already gotten a shot. So it doesn't matter to me whether he was wearing the mask or not. What matters to me is is the hypocrisy of John Kerry and those folks who are saying, oh, you have to wear a mask. But when he was on an airplane, he wasn't wearing his mask. And to me, that's the angle that I find interesting, not the shock and dismay that he wasn't wearing his mask, but how he's so, so hypocritical that I'm sure he has said many, many times that you have to wear a mask. His boss told him to wear a mask, but when he didn't think anybody was watching, he wasn't wearing a mask. So that's the part to me that's most interesting, because if you remember, you know, John Kerry, he is now uh, the climate envoy. And last year he accepted an environmental award for being the most activist environmentalist in the United States or something to that effect. And this award was in Iceland. And of course, to get this award for being the, the environmentalist of the year, he flew to Iceland in his private jet. Okay. So that's the, <laughs> that's the hypocrisy. And also he's got like five houses. So what's the carbon footprint of John Kerry when he's got five houses he flies on his own private jet, and then he wants to tell you, you shouldn't be able to drive an SUV. You should have to drive a golf cart or some other kind of electric car uh, in order to save the world. But by the way, he's got five houses, and he's flying on a private jet to Iceland to receive an award for being the environmentalist of the year. That's the part that gets me, and it's the same type of mentality that John Kerry has when he says, Everyone must wear masks. Everyone must wear masks. Oh, well, I'm on the plane and no one's watching. I'm going to take off the mask. I mean, that's the kind of hypocrisy and duplicitous nature that, that he has and that others like him have that, to me, uh, it just frankly drives me kind of crazy. But, uh, but speaking of a plane, here, here's my second favorite story of the day. And, you know, I've, had, I've interviewed Dr. Michael Lynch uh, in this time slot many times over the years. He is the most out there, 
conspiratorialist expert who says, you know, that there's aliens running all over our planet. They're here all the time. They've been here forever. Um, anytime anything happens, Dr. Michael Lynch wants to chalk it up to, you know, some sort of alien invasion. So, and I always argue with him and debate with him on that topic because I, I don't believe that. But what's interesting is today, you know, there are aviation experts, aviation enthusiasts is a better way of putting it, who track the flight plans of every plane and who track every act of the FAA when it comes to any flight plans in or out of anywhere around Area 51. And they track it online. And so what's interesting is this came out today, and this actually happened yesterday or earlier this week. But what happened was this. Federal authorities, aviation authorities in Nevada, opened up what's called an air corridor, which means All private flights within this air corridor are banned and prohibited. It's sort of the same thing as when the president is coming to town. When the president flies from Washington, D.C. to St. Louis, okay, there's an air corridor that's created between Washington, D.C. and St. Louis, and it's reserved only for Air Force One and Air Force One-related flights. Okay, so if you get up there in your Cessna and start flying around in that air corridor, you're going to be greeted by an F-15 with missiles. And that's literally what happens. So that's what an air corridor is, is it blocks all private aircraft in a specific altitude at a specific trajectory for a specified period of time. Now, why am I giving you all these pointless details? Because of this. There was an air corridor opened up earlier this week uh, between Area 51 and the Pacific Ocean. And that air corridor uh, was 20 nautical miles wide, 426 nautical miles long, at an altitude of 45,000 feet to 60,000 feet. And this air corridor was blocked off uh, for approximately three hours. So for three hours of time between Area 51 and the Pacific Ocean, that, was, that, that air corridor was wide enough and high enough to prevent any civilian aircraft from seeing whatever it is that was flying from Area 51 to the Pacific Ocean. So it makes you kind of wonder, hey, what were they doing? I mean, we all know Area 51. I mean, if you've seen Independence Day, which I love that movie. And, you know, that movie, I just watched it again not too long ago, and I watched the sequel. That movie is so bad that it's so funny. There are more plot holes in that movie than Swiss cheese, okay? But it's hilarious. It's truly a fantastic movie. But half the movie takes place at Area 51, and, you know, there's aliens there, and everyone thinks there's aliens there now, but I, except for me. But what kind of aircraft were they testing that had to fly from Area 51 to the Pacific Ocean? Now, there was no air corridor to get them back. There was no air corridor created for a return flight. So what kind of aircraft is it that could fly out to the Pacific Ocean and then just disappear? I don't know. Now, I've got a theory about it. It's probably that the Air Force had a a fueling tanker that was out over the Pacific that could refuel it, and then it could fly to Guam or overseas or something like that. But still, it's intriguing 
uh, that these things happen. And this is how these conspiratorial theories begin, uh, because folks look at this like me and they wonder what it is. Are you flying out of Area 51 to the Pacific Ocean? What are you doing? And, of course, the government says we're not going to tell you. So to me, that's fascinating. And uh, but I don't believe it's, you know, little green men flying spaceships out of Area 51. I don't believe that at all. But it could have been uh, a, a cool new fighter, which, by the way, uh, the Air Force has something called the Next Generation Air Dominance. It's called NGAD. And uh, I think it's 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 the, the plane beyond anything that you've seen. I think it's being built right here in St. Louis. I don't have any proof of that. No one's told me that. But because of the information that I've read about how it was designed and built, no one's seen it. There's no photographs of it. It's only been confirmed that it exists and has flown. I think it was built right here in St. Louis. So maybe they were flying that out of Area 51 to test it. I don't know. But there could be secret aircraft flying right now uh, over Area 51 that was designed, built, and constructed right here in St. Louis. How cool is that? Hey, I've had a blast the last two nights uh, filling in for Ryan. Make sure you check him out tomorrow morning on the Mark Cox Show. And uh, uh, make sure you keep your dial, though, every night right here on Camo X for Overnight America. My heart beats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.
After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.